Oh, good morning, church. You guys made it through the rain. You didn't melt. How about this, huh? Last week, I heard some stories about grapes. Danny's got his grapes because God's got grapes. I got marbles. I want to pick up this week where I left off two weeks ago. And we're in this series talking about family. Because family was God's design. It wasn't something society kind of put together. It was God's design. God's design was family from the very beginning. And not only was it his design in the beginning, but, but through the years, even as we marched into the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul, but it would point back to family, and he uses family as an analogy for the body of Christ. He says, we are like families. God is our Father, and, 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 and when we become followers of Christ and we accept his gift of salvation, we become children of God. It involves a choice on our part to become a part of that family. Family is such a big deal. As moms and dads, we're growing up, and now we have kids, and so often, here's, here's what we do. For some reason, and we're probably all guilty of this, we reach back into our parents' toolbox in parenting, and we grab a tool that our parents used on us. And it, 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 it probably never even worked on us, but, but we just reach back and grab it anyway, and, and, and we can so often in different areas as moms and dads and grandparents be ineffective. And so in, in talking about parenting and raising kids, I, I wanted to go back to God's Word and see what God's Word has to say about that and, and look at what, what it is that God tells us that we ought to be doing. And that's what this whole series has really been about. It's been about family. And I, you know, the, this suitcase here, I was thinking about this when, uh, when Jordan and Julia have their first kid which we don't know when that's going to be. Uh, uh, could be a year from now. Could be 10 years from now for all I know. But when they have their first kid, I, I almost want to go get a suitcase like this and take it to Julia and say to Julia, put, put this in your nursery right next to the crib. And I know Julia. Julia will look at, that, look at me with that Julia face that says, what are you talking about? And then I will say to Julia, from this day forward, from, from right now forward, what you are doing is you are packing this bag because the day will come when that little baby will walk away and leave you just like you left us. And that is the reality of our lives as moms and dad. We are packing things into our kids that the, the day is coming that they are going to walk out of our family, not for good, and not for, but for all intents and They are going to start their family, and they're going to be parenting kids. And we're going to be grandparents. And I want to have a conversation about that. I, I want to I, I stop and really look at that from a different perspective. And, and, and what does that look like? What does that look like as a family, as a church, and as a community? The reality is, see, raising kids, God never intended it for, to just be parents. He, he intended it for, for the church family to be involved. He intends it for community to be involved. You know, there's been talk about the village, the village being a part of it. And I will tell you, leaving it to just one of those entities, some of them more important than others, but to just one of those entities is not the complete picture. Because the only thing the village ever raised by itself was the village idiot. And the, the reality is God has so much more for us. And this is relevant to all of us. At one time or another, we were all kids. Every one of us was a kid. 
Every one of us in this room at some point was a kid. Some of you wives would point at your husband and say he still is a kid. But the reality, we were all kids. And the other truth is that every one of us has had a parent or someone in our lives who parented us. And both of those happen in all of our lives. And there are two truths that coexist. And you're going to want to write these down. There are two truths that coexist at the same time in our lives and in our families. And the first one is no one has the potential to influence a child like a parent. No one will have more influence with a child than a parent. No one can have more to, to, to involve in a life than a mom or a dad or, or a grandparent. Everything that we do as parents has this unique ability to influence our kids in a way that no one else can. God's design. It is all by God's design. The second thing that coexists along with that is a parent is not the only influence that a child needs. It's not the only influence that a child, and that's why we believe so strongly here at Camelback in a faith community like us, and, and God through this process, and my, my challenge to moms and dads, to parents, don't try to parent alone. God has more for you, more tools in your toolbox than parenting alone. This jar right here. Marbles. This is a thousand marbles. A thousand marbles. Each marble represents a week. Each marble, one week. When your child is born, there are a thousand weeks between birth and high school graduation. A thousand weeks. And let me tell you something the weeks go by fast. Time goes by fast. Weeks drop after weeks, and you can turn around, and you can look at this jar, and you're down around here, and you're halfway done. And some of you are there with your kids, and some of us are, th are there, and, and that, that jar is just going down and emptying out. And the lower it gets, the more focused you become, and I become on the time that we have left. It almost fine-tunes our brain, so we're paying attention at a whole other level. A thousand marbles, every week a marble. This is like a giant time clock ticking away. Weeks are going by, and this is not a new concept. Moses writes in, in Psalm 90, look what Moses says. That's not what Moses says. In Psalm 90, Moses says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you know why Moses said that? He recognized, he understood that time, that weeks are going by. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, God, help us to stop and focus in on this so we don't waste weeks at a time, so that every week that drops out of this jar matters and counts, and something happens, and God does week after week. Teach us to number our days, and the lower this thing gets, we become more focused on the time that we have left. Maybe high school is where you are. Maybe you're a parent of a ninth grader. Your kid's just gotten into high school. This is how many weeks you have left. You have 200 weeks left. So now you're more focused on this time that you have left in raising this gift that God has given to you. And you're recognizing, I only have that much left. 200 weeks. And those weeks will go fast. They'll drop off. I, and I made, I made some notes because high school, while it wasn't that long ago, was an awfully long time ago. But about, about, let's say, 20 weeks in, maybe about that much right there, your kid's going to be taking midterms. And, and 
probably midterms are going to decide whether college is even an option or, or, or not. But then about 50 weeks in, about, about, about a quarter of the way through this, your kid's going to go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles. And they're going to be taking this test that's going to, that's going to maybe let them go the next step and then the next step. And then they're going to have a driver's license. And, 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 and that changes the parameters. And, and we'll see what your faith is like when it gets to that point. And the, and the reality is that then about 75 weeks in, you grab a real good bunch of those. Statistically, most of our kids in high school will get a job. And that's going to save you absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, it's probably even going to cost you more money. But, but that's a, a hundred weeks. They start their junior year. They're, they're, they're now in their junior year. That will certainly move your prayer life to a whole other level. 200 weeks in high school. And all through this process, we, we as parents, we, we almost reinvent this concept of parenting. We, we, we change what we do. We, all along the way, we reinvent. Number three in your notes says this, and I didn't even give you a fill-in. I, 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 you just need to listen to this. When you see how much time you have left, you get serious about the time you now have. We do this as parents. It, it, it gets our attention, and so often we focus on what we wish we should have done or, or some, some major uh, adjustments in our course. And, and my, I would encourage you this morning, well, let's, let's just focus in on, on something that, that I'll just lay right in here in a few minutes. See, but when we get to this place, we also, another thing we do is we actually start to value what happens over time. We recognize that what God is doing, he's doing over time. Th these are reminders. This is a reminder that every week matters. But it's also a reminder that you can't do it all in a week. It is collective momentum over time. It's the very reason that an artist can, can focus in and put 10,000 hours into an instrument and, and over the course of time can get to a place where they will stand up before a huge audience and everyone in that room is focused on them and what they do with that instrument and they deliver because focused momentum over time, has the ability to produce something so much greater than anyone who has not been willing to do that. And for us as parents, there's so many unknowns. All along this process, there are unknowns, all the way to the point that they're ready to leave your home. We just don't know. It was, Wes was either nine or ten years old, and, and he kept talking about wanting to learn to play the guitar. Our first response was, we're grateful he didn't say drums. Our second thought process was, okay, I mean, I played guitars for years. I, I want to get a nice guitar. I don't want to get a piece of junk. And, and then there's this tugging other side of my brain that says, what's probably going to happen is in three weeks or three months, this guitar is going to be on Craigslist because this thing just really is not going to stick. And so which, which way do we go as a parent? Which, which way? And, and, and so you, you choose your path. And, well, interestingly enough, he, he stuck with it from that point all the way through. But you don't, we don't know that. And this process of parenting is such a big deal. Parents don't parent alone. Just here alone at Camelback, George and Candace in, in our middle school ministry are doing such a job with middle school. Jordan and Julia and their whole team leading high school. And, and Rosanna with children's ministries. Don't do 
parenting without that being a part of what God's doing. Because over time, what's happening here is history is being made. And God is doing what it is God does. And it's a big deal. And nobody making history knows at the time that they're making history. They're just going through life. And as his church family, we are walking through life following Christ, a part of a church family. And what God is doing is he is doing what he does best. And he's working in people's lives. And there's no one lesson that's going to be the big deal. There's no one lesson that does but But it's this combined lesson over time. It, you know, I thought about parenting, and I, then I started to think about parents, and, and we're all different kinds of parents. And we, we all as parents have issues, and I started listing some of them because, you know, we have a school on our campus, and it's real clear, you know, parents are, are there are great parents and not so great parents, and, and we're all good parents, but some, some of us have issues and directions, and there are these attachment parents, and, and there are free-range parents. Some parents lean in one direction, some in the other. And so, some of our parents are authoritative. They, they, they just know everything about everything. And then other parents are kind of like permissive. And so just whatever, 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 Johnny. We let, let whatever he wants to do. And then we have tiger parents and helicopter parents. And helicopter parents, they just always have to stay around to make sure everything is going to be the best that it can for little Freddie or... And nothing's going to go wrong in the life of little Pedro. It's going to be just the way. And, they, they, and maybe you're struggling to see who you are as a parent. You know, Maybe you're just trying to figure all out. I was thinking about that, and then, then I thought about this. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. All of us, all of us as parents were designed and created in a unique way in the image of our heavenly Father. As a parent, God created you. Then he entrusted to you that child. You know what that means? That means he trusts you. And he's given you everything you need. Intentionally, for thousands of years, protected his word so that you and I would always have it. He intentionally, pre you don't even know the kingdoms that were ruling this world at different points in history that, that swore up and down that they were going to take the Bible off the planet, which proves that God is a God of humor because he had to be laughing when they were telling the whole world that they were going to do that. I remember the day back in the 60s when I was a part of the church that I grew up in, and one of our missions programs was we were paying money so that people, missionaries and other people, could smuggle Bibles into other nations, the major one being China. And now China is printing billions of them and sending them back to us. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. When I, when I look around, I, I see parents doing what parents do. But, but I'm reminded that we were designed and we were created with our inalienable rights by our creator. And he trusts us with the gifts that he's given to us. I, I just want us to relax and breathe. Oh. Oh, that's what we're doing as parents. That's what I'm doing. And when I give you my next point, which is really my first point, number four is my first point, but I had to give you the other three points to get to the first point, so I just thought I'd make it real confusing. Point number four, when I give you this point, here's what I know. I know some of you are going to say, I already knew that. And when you think of this in terms of the, the fact that you were designed by your creator in his image, well, that, that makes sense. And, and, but the reality is we, we need to do this over a long period of time. That's when it will really make the difference. 
And this one thing that's actually going to be point number four, this, this one thing, if you, if you do all of the other points, but you don't do this point, it won't even matter. The most important thing over time is love. The absolute most important thing over time is love. Paul makes that so clear in Corinthians 13, when he, first Corinthians, when he rolls that out and he digs in on it. As followers of Christ, as maybe as a seasoned believer, do you know how you know that God loves you? Do you know how you know that? There was a point in time in the past that you found yourself in a mess. There was a mess in your life that you went through. And what did God do? He pursued you. He, he, he intentionally moved into, he did it through whatever means or reason, but, but he kept on coming in the most difficult times in my life. That's what I noticed about God is he kept on coming. He kept pressing into me. And as believers, as followers of Christ, we can go back through the scripture and see how he used time and history, and generation after generation after generation. I got a question for you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I was thinking about this just, just, just recently, especially with, with this message in mind. Why didn't God fix the sin problem, the whole Adam and Eve thing, why didn't God fix it in the first 24 hours? Why didn't he do that? He's God. He, he could have done that. He could have fixed it immediately. Why didn't he do that? I, instead of doing that, he chose to go through time. He used time. We look at our Bible and we see how he used time. And he went through generation after generation. And, and, and he creates history. He creates his story. And he builds it in there. And then at a certain point, Jesus steps on the planet. And because of, because of the work of Christ, you and I can watch and understand how much God loves us and how he loves us. And we can learn the heart and the nature of God. Why? Because he chose to do it this way. He chose to make it so clear how he loves us. How do you love a teenager? How do, you, how do you love a teenager? You do it the same way. You do it over and over, over time. Over and over, over time. You just keep doing it. Do you know why? Because love over time equals worth. Love over time equals worth. We are given value. We were designed and created by our Heavenly Father, which gives us unbelievable value. So we have value. He created us with value. But recognizing that God himself is pursuing us on an individual level. And our kids will reach that if, 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 if we'll follow biblical principles. But God pursuing us over time. Your presence in your child or your teenager's life over time does something that nothing else can do. Let me repeat that. Your presence in your child's life, in your teenager's life, over time does something that nothing else can do. You know, it, it sounds so simple. My encouragement, moms and dads, grandparents, parent, maybe you're a parent figure in the life of a child. Here's my encouragement. Please, just keep showing up. Just keep showing. When you do that, you are doing so much more than you could ever imagine. As a matter of fact, you are modeling 
what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Because Jesus said, lo, I am with you even to the ends of the earth. I am with you always. When you're in a deep trial, I'm with you. When you're celebrating on a mountaintop, when it's party time, I am with, I am always with you, Jesus said. And you, we're, we're just, we're being present. We're being exactly what Jesus modeled. Something else that we do over time. Number six in your notes. Over time, we put in words. Over time, as moms and dads and grandparents and, and, and even parent figures in the life of a child and, and your niece, your nephew, and the, ki and the kids that, that, that come to your house, your, your, your kids' friends, that you, over time, we are putting in words. The average teenager gets one word of affirmation up against every seven words of criticism. Damage is being done. How do we as a church, how, how do we stop in our families? How do we flip that? How, how, how practically can we flip that the other way around? Uh, the average teenager in our culture is getting one word of affirmation for every seven words of criticism. May our comments about millennials be the other way around. I am more hopeful as I, look at, as I look at millennials than I have ever been in my life. I am excited about some of the things that, that in, in our church that, that our millennials are doing. As moms and dads, as a church, in, in, in our culture, let's flip that equation upside down. Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples the way you love one another. It is unbelievably powerful. And God has really, he's called us to this. One word of affirmation against every seven words of criticism. Educators tell us that you cannot over-affirm a middle schooler. You can pour your life into it and you will never over-affirm a middle schooler. And you know what that means? Our middle school kids need our love and encouragement. In other words, they need us to, to, to adjust our lives to the place where when we see a middle schooler, we stop and we talk to them. And we encourage them. And we tell them the truth. You were designed and created by God. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And what he wants to do is he wants to unfold that into your life. Being intentional about this. There was a documentary recently about Mr. Rogers. And in this documentary, it's amazing. You can realize how Mr. Rogers would talk with kids and communicate with kids on such a level. They, they interviewed adults who, who, who watched that show. And here's what I find fascinating. They not only remembered the words that he talked about, adults remember that, or they remember how those words made them feel when he spoke those words. Intentionally connecting with kids. Here's a name you've probably never heard. Ronnie Carl. Ronnie Carl grew up down the street from me. I grew up in a family where my mom and dad were, were just were, were positive. They, they were believers. They were followers of Christ. Christ had, had come into their lives, changed them, and called them, and, 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 and been for their entire lives, had work in their lives, and they, and they allowed him to do it, and they lived in the benefit of that. And so I, I just grew up in that. Ronnie Carl didn't grow up in that. Ronnie's mom was hopeless in the life that she was in. Ronnie's dad was an alcoholic, and he was mean. And I don't believe ever said one kind word to his son. Ronnie was a disaster from the day I met him all the way to the last time I ever saw him. He was Negative words had been poured into his life, and only negative words. 
back in front of our house, we, we, outside the front door, we had this little metal box. And some, some of you remember this, but it's the, uh, twice a week or three times, I don't even remember how often, but the milkman used to come and, and he would lift up the lid and, and he would take the empty bottles and, and put some full bottles of milk and then close it. Do you, any of you ever remember that? Some of you. None of you millennials. You see, I, I was on the side of my house, and, and, and every once in a while, I'd play with Ronnie, although it wasn't very long because you couldn't take him very long. And he, he came up to the front of our house, opened up the lid, pulled out an empty milk bottle, and came around the side of, of the house and took the milk bottle. I, I was facing the opposite direction and broke it over my head. And if, if, you, if you're from that era, you, you know how thick milk bottles are. It, they're thick. I, to this day, I'm amazed that he broke it on my head, which probably answers some other questions that we don't want to talk about this morning. I can remember him in church. He, he, every once in a while, they, 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 a couple of them would squeeze into church, his mom and, and, and Ronnie and, and his younger brother. And, 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 and this one Sunday, he, he walked up behind an older lady, and he pulled the hat pin out of her hat. Their suckers are about this long. And he came up behind me, and he stuck it in my back, you know, almost all the way in. I thought they were going to take me to the hospital that Sunday. But, but this was the reality of his life. Nothing but negative, disparaging words. As a teenager, I heard the news that a policeman had shot and killed Ronnie because he came at him with a gun. See, what you and I do with our words and this process of overtime and God taking advantage of week by week. We, when we give our kids words, we give our kids a vocabulary. We begin to develop a vocabulary in our kids. And you know what God does with that vocabulary? He uses it in their lives. Our, our kids will learn to resolve issues. They'll begin to use words to develop relationships and, and resolve conflicts. And they'll see us using words in, in a way that God designed them, and, and, and they'll begin to reason, and they'll begin to think. And, and, and you know what will happen? It will begin to shape their faith. And they will begin to see God and see who God is and see the very character that God has through the words that you and I share, because words over time equal direction. Our words over time will give our kids direction. It will give our kids a sense of direction. And as moms and dads, if we, if we just continue as, as in being the parents that we are, and we will find times to just sit down and talk with our kids, as we sit down and we talk to our kids, you know what we're doing? We are creating a safe place. We're creating a safe place that our kids are going to be willing to come to us and sit down. And we can talk with our kids about anything. We can talk. If, we, if we'll develop, the, if we'll talk with our kids and develop this safe place, we can talk to them about technology. We can talk to them about sex. We can talk to them about God. We can talk to them about money. We can talk to them about anything because words over time equal direction. And we as parents, we were designed and created in God's image. And we know inherently that the way you talk to a seven-year-old is not the way you talk to a three-year-old because we're in this process of parenting. Words over time equal direction. There's another thing that over time matters. Stories over time equal perspective. Stories over time time equal perspective. Our brains were designed in a way that when, we were, when we're given information, we register that information. But when we, when we give our kids information in the form of a story, it engages a whole other part of them. As a matter of fact, experts tell us when, when we give our kids a story with information in it, it goes to a whole other level. And they, they, be, they become involved in that story. And, and they can not just see maybe and sympathize, but they can actually move to the place where they are empathizing. 
In other words, they're, they're feeling this. See, see, humans are the only being on the planet that can imagine themselves in another story. There's a reason we go to the movies. There's, and, and, and our kids, through stories, a powerful thing happens when we engage someone in a story. Experts just point to it so clearly. And here's the reality. Stories are a key to our faith. We open up our Bible and we read what happened all through the Old Testament. All of the things that God did in history. And those stories get planted in, in our kids. It happens here in children's ministry, in, in middle school, in high school, and, and even in this room on Sundays. Because we tell our kids with the stories of the Bible, who God is. And we begin to show our kids the character of God. It is such a big deal. And how does he do it? Over time. Over time. Week by week by week by week by week. And he just continues to do it. We have this idea. Is that my timer? Are you tell me I'm done? We have this idea that my family is dysfunctional. We, 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 we all think that, you know, if, if there was a Bible family that I could point to, and let me tell you something, you can go through your Bible, you're not going to find a great family. There's none in there. He, he, didn't, he didn't put this family in there and say, that's what you need to be like. He put story after story. He gave us history all through. You can start at the beginning with Adam and Eve. What do Adam and Eve do? They sin. What happens next? They have two boys. One kills the other. Oh, there's a great start. And then you move on to Noah. Noah, this is the one that, that God points to and said, <clears throat> there's only one on the planet that's a good family, and it's Noah. And so he saves his family, and then, and then later on, as an old man, he gets drunk and naked. I can't wipe that picture out of my brain. And then as we continue to move forward, there's Jacob and Esau, these two brothers. Now, now, here you have a naive dad and a conniving mother. I mean, on steroids. This family is so screwed up, it's unbelievable. And we're looking for a good family? How about Joseph and his wonderful brothers, huh? They're all headed for a family reunion. Years and years of dysfunction in them. And David... David has courage, and he's fought a lion and a bear, and, and, and he kills the giant, and, and we're all over this guy, the leader of Israel, and then, then he has an affair with another man's wife, and he covers it up, and he, and he commits murder. There's enough. What's our, only, what, what, what's our hope in Scripture? We're looking for this family. Well, James, what about Mary and Joseph? Well, that's a sweet family until they forget about Jesus for three days. They left him in church for three days, forgot where he was three days. Child protective services would have taken that sucker away from them like that. They would have taken Jesus right out of Mary and Joseph's arms, let me tell you. We forgot Julia once here at church. We, Karen and I left, went, so we got a phone call. Did you forget Julia? I, I guess so. He uses stories of broken families and broken people because that's all there is. So that doesn't disqualify you. It qualifies you. It puts you right in there. It puts me right in there. Here's my prayer, my prayer for our church, my prayer for our families, for our teenagers, for our kids, is that when our kids, when our kids grow up, and, and they walk away. When, when they leave our families, they will know. They'll walk away knowing. When life doesn't work out, when, when they're in a mess in life, when, when they feel like they don't measure up, and when they don't measure up, that they don't give up because they recognize that God has not given And they understand that at a, at a level. 
when they recognize that when something happens that wasn't supposed to happen in their life, when they, when they hit that in life, we will know as moms and dads that we have given our children a front row seat to the grace of God. And he's carried us through our mess. And in parenting, he's given us so much. And we're, we're just, listen, that's where we are, church. We're, we're, we're just, as we're, all of us at different places. My, I don't even feel qualified because my kids are adults at this point. I don't even feel qualified to be sharing this. Matter of fact, if you want to read more on this, I'll tell you, there's a guy named Reggie Joyner. And Reggie has written books of the, of the different age brackets. And you can read all you, nothing but great. So he opens up God's word. You see, God has called us to open up his word. Moms and dads, don't parent alone. Take advantage of what God is doing. Let him tell his story of redemption through our kids because stories over time equal perspective. And let me give you the last two real quick because I'm already on overtime. Work over time equals significance. I don't know why, but God gave us a world that is run by sowing and reaping. Plant a seed, water it, and a plant will grow. In, in all, every area of our lives, what, what we put into something, we will get out of something. Spiritually speaking, when we're obedient to the things that God calls us to, he doesn't just use addition, he uses multiplication. When we're following Christ and we're on a path, every path has a destination. And in the different areas of our lives, we're, we're on paths to destination. Work over time equals significance. Even in our children's ministry, we give kids the opportunity to serve. Middle schoolers get the opportunity to serve. High schoolers now are serving on Sundays more than before. They've changed up their house to apply this principle in the lives of our high schoolers. Our kids will outgrow our programs, but they will never out, listen, never outgrow the work that God does in them when they begin to serve and work. It's his process, his design, and it's the most powerful thing that any parent or church or leader can recognize is that over time, kids, give kids an increased opportunity to serve. Something happens in kids with work and service over time. Every week, over time, something happens. Something changes. They grow. They mature. They move in a direction week after week. And number 10, some of you are going to struggle with this. Some of you are just going to be no good at this. And some of you are going to be unbelievably good at this. And some of you, when I say this, you're going to say, oh, that doesn't matter. But, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because this is actually a secret. This is a secret that will make your home attractive. This is a secret that will make our church attractive. This, if you will do it over time, will take all of your relationships and move them way better in a direction. And I'm going to give it to you in a second, but I want you to understand that I know some of you are going to struggle with this. And I'll tell you this, those of you, those of you who recognize that you're not any good at this, you need to find the people in your life who are good at this and help them teach you how to get good at this. Number 10, fun over time equals connection. Fun, that's what I said. Fun over time equals connection. Proverbs 17, a cheerful heart is good medicine. And there's a ton of scriptures I could have used. I tried to keep scripture content down this week. Fun over time is so healthy. 
A cheerful heart is good medicine. In light of that, how strong is your home? Is there fun in your home? Is there fun in areas of ministry here at Campbell? You see, fun over time reconnects what is disconnected. Fun has the opportunity to connect things that are just not going to get connected any other way. Fun over time actually helps forgiveness develop between people. It breaks through barriers that others cannot. Fun over time, people will run to your home. Fun over time, people will run to our church. You see, here's the reality, church. Sometimes... Our kids think we don't like them because we act like we don't like them. Are we intentionally letting our kids know we like them? Or, or do we send our kids the signal of, well, well, God gave you to me, so you're mine, so I'm stuck with you. Do, do we, are we intentionally telling our kids, uh, I know we tell them, I love you, but do you like them? Some of you need to leave here today, and the most important thing on your schedule is to create schedule sometimes for fun. You don't even have to spend money. Shoot, you can go to Walmart late at night and just look at people for fun. See, when we hang out with our kids, even in terms of our church, when, 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 our, when, our, when our teens go, go, to a, go to camp or they go to a retreat, the time they spend in the van and in the bus with their leaders on the way is worth 20 Sundays because it's such powerful times. And those of you who have teenagers, there are three things about your teens that, that are true right now. And I want you to hear these. The first one is that your teens care more about what their friends think than what you think. Your teens care more about what their friends think than what you think. The second one is your teens care more about what other adults think than what you think. And number three is your teens care more about what you think than anything else. You say, James, wait a minute. You just contradicted yourself. I know I did, but they're teenagers. And all three of those things are simultaneously true right now because they're teenagers. Here's what I know. This generation is not going to believe what we want them to believe unless we give them a place to belong. They belong in our family. They belong in our church family. As moms and dads, guys, we have everything we need. So many of you are doing such a great job on so many different levels. And somehow we get focused on the things that maybe not doing so well. I'm here to tell you, you're doing it. Stay there. Keep doing it. Because your presence matters in ways that you and I can't even imagine. And God is using all of that because he is writing history. And if you're a parent, don't do parenting alone. Stand together with me. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much for loving us in a way that, that, that brought us into relationship with you. Lord, I pray for our church family. In our church family are so many families that you have brought together, families that you're working in, families that you're using, kids that you're raising up, the next generation that's going to stand on our shoulders and go farther than we ever could have dreamed. We look forward to that, and we're so grateful to you for it. Lord, I would pray for each family here this morning. They would recognize they were designed and created by you. They were given these gifts of children from you and by you. And that we together 
are following Christ, walking through history with your word in our hands, your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives, and we're your children, and that's the life we're living. Thank you. And as we head into November, may we, may, may we just be recognized and be so thankful and grateful for what you've given to us and what you're doing in and through us. Bless our church family as we walk out these doors this morning. Bless all those, Lord, who come forward and, and we spend time with them in prayer. And as we step out into this beautiful, beautiful day, let me just stop here one second. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's anyone here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Let me just give you that opportunity real quick. What that simply means is you, you recognize that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ came and, and was born and, and died, and they put him in a tomb, and he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is forever interceding for our sins. He, he took our load of sin, and when we received that gift by recognizing who he is, that, that he is our Savior. And just by simply, simply in your heart saying, I believe that, the Bible says that, that you can be saved, that you will be saved. And we refer to it oftentimes as being born again, being spiritually born. If you've never done that and you'd like to do that, let me, let me make it real simple for you. It's just a matter of saying in your heart, yeah, I'm doing that right now. And, and just for, for me as we close in prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed, just slip your hand up and put it right back down so I know that I'm, who I'm praying for. Yeah, I see that hand. Yes, yes. Yes. Thank you. Put your hand back down. Father, thank you so much for paying the price for our sins in the past, in the present, and in the future. It's a done deal. They no longer are being held against us. And your word says that you place them in the sea of your forgetfulness. And, and, and they, are, they are as far away, your word says, as far, they are now placed as far away from us as the east is from the west. And Father, thank you for the hands that went up this morning. Those who accepted you as their Savior, we celebrate that as a church family. And Lord, as we leave these doors, we leave with your love, with your blessing. You're always with us. Thank you so much for that, Father. Bless our church families. we leave this morning and we step out into the world and honor you with our faithfulness. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a killer day. <laughs>